Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. As Robbie said, my name is Noel. I am uh, one of the, I'm part of the team here at C3 Church in Kelowna. We're in our series, God Unveiled. It's based on the scripture, Psalm 46, 10 to 11. And we're reading out of the New International that says, He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about the Trinity of God. This is a a fairly challenging concept for us to wrap our head around. And in 40 years of being a Christian, I have, I still don't comprehend fully what Trinity means. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, actually kind of glad for that. I don't think I would ever want to fully understand what Trinity means. Um, I recently heard a minister say, why would you want to believe in a God that you could fully understand? And I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I don't want to fully understand him. I want to always, and I hope that for the rest of eternity, I am discovering new things about him. You know what I mean? Like, I hope, because, because, if I'm supposed to live with him for eternity, I don't want, you know, for the first 5,000 years to be discovering and then I've discovered everything about him and now the rest of eternity is rather boring. Right. Pastor Dave, last week he spoke on Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, which says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, he focused last week on let us make man in our likeness, in our image. But, and, and that whole thing was referring to how, how God was saying there is more than one of us in this trinity. There's three of us and we are gonna make man in our image. But today, I wanna take us to the next part of that same verse. It says, let them have dominion. The very first thing that God did to man when he created him was give him something. Today's message is actually, uh, the title of today's message is going to be God-given. And the concept that we're uh, getting across today is that God is a giving God. Mm-hmm. It's his nature to give. Yes. Genesis, the book of Genesis starts with God creating the heavens and the earth. And, and it's funny, if you start reading through Genesis chapter 1, the very first thing that you see, God is creating all these different things. And each time he creates something, he stops after he's finished creating it. He stops and he looks at it and he appreciates his work. He goes, he goes, oh, I just created the heavens and the earth. 
This is good. Yeah. Oh, I just created all these trees and plants and animals and water and each time, hmm, this is good. Yeah. I like this. But he doesn't do that to, God, to, to man. When he creates man, he's, um, well, okay, so when he creates man, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, 29 uh, to 30. It says, then God said, I, it says, I, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. The very first thing that God says to man is, I give you a blessing. I give you control. I give you all you need to do well on this earth. Then... After he gives the gifts to man, he then takes a moment to go and appreciate his work. So everything he creates, he takes that moment for himself. But when he creates man, he stops. He gives man something. Then he appreciates the good work that he did. In the New Testament, God's giving nature is summed up in this verse, Philippians 4, verse 19, and it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When we read that, now this is the natural, this is the way that we are, right? When we read that verse, what do we think about? We think about all of our material things. He will supply all my needs. So we think, well, that's my food, my shelter, my transportation, the water and the air I breathe. And he'll, he'll supply all of that stuff. And we spend an awful lot of time, churches spend an awful lot of time talking about God supplying for those material things. And I'm going to say this, certainly, yes, his gifts account for all of those things, but those are not the primary, the most important things. But I want to tell you a couple of stories about how God does this, okay? I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. This is the things that happened to me, um, the things that have happened in my life that, that show that God will supply all of those things. So I don't, want to, I don't want to knock on that. I want to talk about this for a second. When I was uh, quite a bit younger, I was in high school. My family, we were not, we did not have anything. We had very, very little. We were on welfare. We were, uh, we didn't know a lot of times where our next, like, next day's meals were coming from. And I remember one time, uh, we were out for something. Uh, I don't remember what the event was. We were just out for an event. And when we got home, there was boxes of groceries sitting on our doorstep. We don't know where it came from. We don't know who delivered it or whatever. I'm, I know that God used a person to bring it, and we are grateful. We were totally grateful to whoever it was that brought it, but we knew that it was God that supplied it, right? Another story about this is when I was about 20 years old-ish, back when I was a little dinosaur, I was looking for, I needed a new vehicle. My vehicle had, had died, 
and I needed a new vehicle, and I really wanted to get a truck. Weirdly, I'm in the same position right now, but I was, I was looking for a truck, and I remember at the time I had been asking God, and I, I prayed, and I said, God, I would like a truck. I would like a blue truck. I would like it to be a standard transmission. I'd like it to be four by four. I like the, at the time, my favorite truck was the Dodge Dakota. I was like, I'd love to have a blue Dodge Dakota, a newer one, because I don't want to have a junky truck that's going to break down in a little while. Because growing up with nothing, we had junky cars that broke down all the time. I didn't want that anymore. I said, Lord, but I want it for a really good price. The next week after praying that, this is before the internet. I'm, like I said, when I was a little, little dinosaur, I was looking in the newspaper. Some of you might know what those are. Um, <laughs> I was looking in the newspaper in the classified ads and there was a picture of a Dodge Dakota. Now this was black and white because it was black and white back then. Everything was black and white. There was no color or anything. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, I was looking at this picture. There's a picture and it says 4x4 Dodge Dakota for sale. Now at the time, uh, this, is, this is right around the year 2000. I was looking for a, like a 1990. I don't really like buying brand new vehicles because you lose half the value as soon as you drive it off the lot. But I wanted something that was with it, like a couple of years old. And uh, so this is 2000, 2001. It says 1999 Dodge Dakota 4x4. At the time, these trucks, brand new, were selling for around $20,000, $22,000. And the price on this truck was $14,000. And the mileage on this truck was three hundred kilometers. I thought that was a typo. A Dodge Dakota, like one year old Dodge Dakota with 300 kilometers for 14, like, like $6,000 less than what I go for. This can't be real. But I phoned the lady and she told me on the phone. She said, yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. She said, uh, my mother really wanted to have one of these trucks before she passed away. She bought it and she died a month later. I have six kids. I can't fit them in this truck. My husband has driven it like five times to work. We need to get it out of the property. I didn't even try to bargain with her. I'm like, I will be there <laughs> like tomorrow. I will be there. And I was able to buy that truck. And what's amazing about that is when I sold that truck several years later, I was able to get the same amount of money for it that I bought it for. God provides. Yeah. When we ask him, he loves us and he provides. Interesting, like I said, I'm in the same position right now. A taxi driver last weekend decided I didn't need my car anymore and decided to smash into it, and now I'm vehicleless, waiting for ICBC to do their thing. But yes, God does provide material things for us. He totally does. But I want to take this concept to uh, an even more basic level. And we think, well, what's more basic than our material needs? Well, Actually, our spiritual needs are a little more basic than our physical needs. There are hundreds of scriptures in the Bible that have to do with God giving. Hundreds of them. When I was going through looking at all the scriptures, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a, a lot of scripture to go through for figuring out what to say here. But uh, some of those scriptures are about God giving us the material stuff. Some of them are about spiritual needs or knowledge, or help in a situation, or whatever it is. But that statement in Philippians that we just read says that God will supply for every need of yours. 
And we, in our own human thinking, think material. But it's every need, every last one. So we're going to break it down to four main concepts that encompass God's nature and how he supplies for every need. And we're going to start with this. Number one, God gives power. The, the original word uh, where the, that is used throughout Scripture for the word power, the word is actually dynamo. It's where we get the word dynamite from. It's explosive, intense power. Okay? Now, it also includes this connotation of ability. It includes uh, miracles, virtue, and mighty works. Those are all included in this word power. In 2 Peter 1 to 3, and we're going to read out of the God's Word translation. This is really, really interesting because they, they speak very specifically about this. It says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. This power was given to us through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and integrity. We see here that God gives us power that comes from himself to do various tasks, to do whatever, so that we can work towards growing his kingdom. Not in the scriptures, but we have, you know, the scripture that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. Power is a very broad term. And God does that on purpose. I've, I've noticed this in scripture. God does this on a number of things. He doesn't define things too carefully so that you can apply them to a wide range of things. Throughout scripture, we see people wielding the, pow wielding the power of God in, in amazing ways. In the Old Testament, we have Moses performing multiple miracles through God's power. Uh, we see Elijah, Samson, David, countless other Bible heroes and heroines, all doing mighty acts through the power of God. Anybody here ever wonder why we don't see some of those today? Hmm? In the New Testament, we see Jesus and his disciples. We see Paul and followers of Paul. We see them prophesying. We see them healing people, speaking in new languages, performing various other miracles, all through God's power. John 14, verse 12 uh, in English Standard says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these. Yes. Notice that he says, whoever believes in me will do these things. Matthew 22, some religious uh, leaders were, who very clearly did not believe in him were trying to trap him in uh, his theology. And some 
they had some very weird questions with him. And uh, the, the question, Jesus doesn't answer their questions a lot of the time. They'll ask him a very specific question, and then he'll kind of give an answer that's not really related, but it is. <laughs> but he says this to them in, in 22, verse 29. It says, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. In Acts 19, there's this story of this priest who had seven sons. They were named the seven sons of Sceva. These sons had seen miracles that Paul was performing. They had seen this, they had been watching Paul, and they got the idea in their head that they could go out and do the same thing. So they are going up to people and they're like, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you devil to come out. And in Acts 19, verse 15, the spirit, the evil spirit that they go up to says to them, hey, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who the heck are you? And jumps on them, beats them up, and sends them running away naked. Evidently, these sons hadn't believed on Jesus. I don't want to get hung up on who gets power and who doesn't. But I, I want to be very clear here about something. Um, people who do not believe in Jesus are not eligible for many of the gifts that God gives. Although a person who isn't a believer yet, if their heart is seeking, God will give them power to receive the word and to start having faith for salvation. God will give them that power. But God consistently gives power to those who believe on him. All right, point number two. God gives dominion. We saw this in a moment ago when we were looking at Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, 22 to, or sorry, 27 to 28, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. The original Hebrew there um, actually says, Have dominion over all of these things. The original verse in the original language says, Have dominion over all of these things. It means, dominion means to subjugate, to subdue, to rule. Throughout history, mankind has perverted the idea of what that is, especially when it comes to other people, when it comes to nature, our planet. We have treated it very badly. We've treated other people very badly. We've tried to have dominion over things in a way that is not the way that God is. Dominion is sovereignty over something. It's actually, the word actually leans more towards stewardship or supremacy. These feel like very different words from each other, <laughs> but they're all connected. A great example of this is the story of Joseph. Now, if you're following along in the Bible study that we're doing with Pastor Dave through the year, we just went through the Joseph story, and this was really an interesting little thing. Um, Joseph 
goes through a bunch of stuff and then gets, he, he gets promoted to second in command of all of Egypt. And Egypt at this time is a very powerful nation. So there he's, he's second in command over a fair bit of stuff. And in Genesis 41, 38 to 44, we're going to read through this fairly quickly. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called up before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. Everyone in the kingdom was subject to Joseph. He had supreme and even sovereign command over the entire nation. He had dominion over all of Egypt. But he was given that dominion in order to carry out Pharaoh's will. What do you think would have happened if he had just gone rogue, done his own thing? How long do you think he would have had that dominion? Now, here's something for all of, all of us to think about. We are given that same dominion. We have the responsibility of being stewards of God's will, of his kingdom. And everyone is given dominion over something. That might be your job, your family, your pet. We're all given dominion over something, your finances. Joseph had to act in the best interests of the nation at all times. Joseph received dominion from Pharaoh because he had proven himself reliable when Pharaoh needed it. And I'm going to just throw this out there. Do you ever wonder why you're not getting more dominion? Could it be that we haven't done what we need to with the dominion we do have? Point number three here. God gives authority. Authority, the way that it's written in the Bible, is um, really broken down to one simple sort of concept. And that is the power to enforce, or enforce rules or to give orders. In Luke 10, verse 19, it says, Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. I want to talk, I'm going to give you, share another little story about this. This is something, um, authority is real for the believer. 
Okay, it's, it's a very real thing and it, and it is practical. I'm gonna tell you a story. I don't like to normally tell this story all that often uh, because I don't like to glorify anything that the enemy does. I don't like talking about you know, devils and demons and all that stuff. I don't like doing that regardless of any experiences I've had because I don't wanna glorify the enemy, I wanna glorify God. But I'm gonna share this story because this is about what that authority is. So I'm gonna share this. When my daughter was, um, my daughter was about uh, three, four months, maybe six months old. We were, uh, we were living in, in Rutland at the time and uh, while she started having these nights, she would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. And, and every parent knows that scream. Like, you know the different cries that babies have. There's the cry that they're just, they're just fussy and they want something. That's not this cry. There's the cry that they've hurt themselves. And then there's the cry that they are genuinely terrified. That was the cry that we would wake up to. In the middle of the night, we would wake up to this cry, Hannah screaming like something was terrifying. We would get up, you know, night after night. It was like for a while, and, and Steph would get up and go and get a bottle or whatever and go and feed her and calm her down and try to work with her. One night, I told Steph, you sleep, I'll go get the bottle. I'll just, I'll go and take care of Hannah. And I got up, I went downstairs, I warmed up the bottle, and I'm walking back up the stairs. Now, our stairs, you'd walk up, one set, there was a little landing, and then you'd walk up the next step. And then I get to the landing, like right at the top of the stairs, you get to the top and there's like the hallway that would go from our bedroom to the, to the kids' bedrooms. And as I'm turning the landing, I see movement across going towards Hannah's room. So I thought Steph got up and was just going in there anyway. But as soon as I saw that, as soon as that, I saw that movement, the temperature in my house plummeted to the point where I could see my breath. Like it was like cold all of a sudden, just instantly freezing cold. And I'm, I thought that was really strange. And I get up and I walk into Hannah's room and Steph's not there. It's just Hannah. And I pick her up and I sit in the little rocking chair we had and I'm trying to rock Hannah and she's fussy and I'm trying to feed her and she's fussy. She starts, she, she starts uh, on her bottle and as I'm there rocking in this frigid, cold room, this thing starts to speak to me. Like, like I'm talking to you. And it says, I know all about you. I know what you've done. You're a hypocrite. You're a terrible human being. You think that people are going to take you seriously? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill your daughter. This is what it's saying. And I'm, I'm sitting there listening to this for a couple of seconds, and all of a sudden, this thing rises up inside of me. And I'm like, devil, you shut your mouth in Jesus' name. I know who I am in Christ. I know that I'm forgiven. And I fail, and God still forgives me, and he loves me. And I have authority over you, so you leave my house, and you leave my daughter and my family alone in Jesus' name. As soon as I said that, temperature just came right back up in the house. My daughter started to calm down. I put her to bed. She did wake up one more time that night, but it wasn't that kind of crying. It was that just fussy, I want something. And after that, she never had another problem sleeping. Yeah. It's authority. When you know the authority that you have, you can stand.
there's a, another quick little thing. This is another little story about uh, authority here, and, and I'm gonna not spend too much time on this, but this last year, back in May, I came down with a, uh, for the second time, I came down with a set of headaches. Uh, cluster headaches are called. Didn't know what they were, we thought it was a number of different things, but these cluster headaches were actually uh, impacting a nerve in my head. Uh, and it is excruciating to the point where I wish they were migraines. Like, it is so bad that my personal thinking went to some very dark places because I can't live like this. Now, I'm not that kind of, I'm not suicidal, I'm not a, I'm not a depressive kind of person generally, but it's just when you endure that kind of pain for as long as I was, it's, you, you just, you don't know what to do. When it first happened to me several years ago, about six years ago, uh, I got on a waiting list to see a neurologist. And that, it took a long, long time. In fact, by the time I started having this second round last year, I still hadn't been in to see the neurologist. They, they still hadn't come in. It's a very, very long waiting list. And uh, when this happened, I ended up in the hospital this last time because it was so bad. And the doctor was able to get me an emergency uh, referral to this neurologist. And so I went to see this neurologist. The first day that I'm going to go and see her, I'm going to see her at the hospital. Um, but it's like that building across the street from the hospital, you know, the one that's connected by the bridge there. And I didn't know where she was. So I was 10 minutes late because I'm looking for her. I get there and I get into the appointment. She is five foot nothing, little tiny woman, mousiest voice, like the, 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 you'd think this, how does she, how is she the expert in neurology in Kelowna? I, I, my brain is like, I would never pick her out of a crowd and say, this woman is the foremost neurologist in, in Kelowna. Like, I, would, I wouldn't do that. I just, she is so small, so petite, so this, this very soft voice. I was terrified of her. <laughs> terrified. When she told me, like, at the end of our, our appointment, she said to me, she looked at me straight up and she goes, next time I want to meet with you, please be on time. And I was like, absolutely, yes, ma'am. Why did she have that kind of authority? She had that kind of authority because she's the one who knows how to help me. She's the expert in her field. There's actually a really interesting little thing. Experts in their field are often called the authority on that subject. Right? There's a scripture that says that Satan has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. If you know you have authority... That authority comes from us knowing what the word says about us. If you know you have authority, when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you can stop him dead in his tracks. All right. Point number four. God gives himself. All of the previous things that we've talked about, dominion, authority, power, they're all wrapped up in this one. This is the most important part. The most important thing that he gives us is himself. John 3, verse 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Think about this. 
When mankind betrayed God in the garden, God had given us authority. When mankind betrayed God, we lost that dominion, power, authority. We lost all of that. His immediate response to us betraying him, when, us losing all, his immediate action was to put in, plan, put in place a plan that would restore us to relationship with him and into that dominion, power, and authority. No one gives their own life unless they have that, uh, unless their nature is to give. No one gives their life unless their nature is giving. Jesus' death, when he son came and died for us, his death gave us access to the Father. Uh, Mark 15, 37 to 38 says, Jesus uttered a loud cry. He's on the cross here. And he uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This represented us having access to the throne room of God again. It gave us access to his presence. The barrier between us and God had been removed. By Jesus ascending up into heaven, this gave the Father the opportunity to send us the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples here uh, about his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and explains that when he, leaves the when he leaves the disciples, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And actually, a couple of verses later, it says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In another spot, in Luke uh, chapter 11, verse 13, it says, So if you sinful people, by comparison to God, of course, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I thought it was really interesting that Johanna brought up Holy Spirit earlier on because that was exactly where this is, where this is going. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us through Christ. God's biggest desire toward you is to know you and to have you know him. His biggest desire, he loved you so much that he gave his only son. So I'll start winding down with this to, to bring this, this to a close here. Let's go back to Pastor Dave's message from last week. Genesis 1.26, the scripture said, Let us make man after our likeness. That word likeness is a really interesting word. When we hear the word likeness, our, again, our natural brains, we think head, body, arms, fingers, mouth, eyes, nose, that kind of stuff. We, we think about that. 
The original Hebrew word for likeness there, actually, I, I, this is interesting because this is based on, Pastor Dave gave some feedback on this message to me today, and I looked this up this morning, just this morning, and I was like, this is incredible. I can't not share this. The original Hebrew word for likeness there, uh, or image as the other translations say, it actually had way deeper meaning. It actually means something like a paper cutout. You ever remember like when you were a kid in children's church, they would give you a, a piece of whatever it is and you would have to use your scissors to cut out the pattern that they gave you? That's what this word image or likeness means. It's an exact copy, an exact replica, but it actually has this other meaning of representative, like an ambassador. The very next part of that verse, let us make man in our image after our likeness, the very next part of that verse, this is unbelievable. It actually says the definition of our likeness. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. An ambassador in a country, if I'm, if I'm the ambassador to the United States from Canada, then I have all of the rights, dominion, and authority of a, the Canadian government in the country of the United States. I have all of those rights. I can make decisions based on the best interests of Canada in that country. And I have the weight of the Canadian government behind me if I am that ambassador. That is the likeness of God. Because who has the dominion, power, and authority to start with? He does. And when he created us, he wanted us to have that. He is and I, want to, I don't want to say this. I want to be very, I want to, sometimes I play a little bit of semantics with this, like wordplay. But I don't want to just say that he has dominion and power and authority. He is dominion, power, and authority. And he gives us himself. He gives us his nature. But if you've ever heard me speak before, I'm going to bring this to a practical point. How many of us are walking in that dominion, power, and authority? God, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, Pastor Dave said that he wants us to wrestle with things. So I'd like to ask this question. Could it be that the enemy's biggest tactic against you is to distract you so much that you'll never end up going and finding out what dominion, power, and authority you have. And because you don't know what dominion, power, and authority you have, he can keep you from operating in that dominion, power, and authority. And he can keep you from ever accomplishing the amazing things that God wants for your life. I'm going to clarify something. 
I have not arrived in dominion and power and authority. I have not figured this out. I am still working on this. I've had times in my life where I do step into that a little bit, and then I have times in my life where I utterly and abysmally fail all of it. I believe that my entire life will be learning how to walk in dominion and authority. Learning how to be the image and the likeness of God. That'll be my whole life. All of us. But we would be irresponsible if we didn't challenge everyone in the room. And I said this earlier when I first started. If, if you're a believer here, if you believe in, in Jesus today, and you feel like, like, I need to step into this. I need to learn more about this. And if you're a, uh, if you're a person who needs to, to do that, I just, I'd like just everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads. If you, if, if you are a believer, if you believe in Christ and you recognize, I need to, to take this further. This is basic understanding of God's word, but I need to take this a little further. Just put up your hand just real quick. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.